Hi, I'm Dr. Steve Elias, and welcome to another podcast of Vein Magazine, also known as Vein Specialists Sitting Around Talking, Having Drinks. Today, we're coming to you from the VEEF meeting in New York. Our participants are Ellen Dillavu and Patrick Muck, both vascular surgeons, both intimately involved in training people in vascular surgery, and more specifically, on the management of vein disease. The subject we're discussing is how can we get younger trainees to be interested during their training and also after their training in managing patients with vein disease. Those of us who are already treating vein disease, let me ask you this. Are you interested in learning how to attract a virtually endless supply of new varicose vein patients to your practice? I'm sure you've tried to market things on your own, but marketing your practice shouldn't be a struggle. Over the last year, the sponsor of this podcast, Clear Sky Local, has worked intimately with many vein clinics to develop their program and help them get new patients through their vein clinic accelerator. This system is designed to generate new qualified vein patients on demand in almost any market. To learn more about how Clear Sky Local can help you develop more patients coming to your practice, visit newveinpatients.com. And now, let's give a listen to the podcast. So this is Vein Magazine's podcast of Vein Specialists sitting around having drinks, and we have Ellen Dillavu and Patrick Muck to speak with us. And the topic today, does anybody know what the topic is? No. We didn't tell you the topic, right? Not yet. Looking okay. forward to it. Okay. One of the main topics I want to talk with you guys about is how can we excite the trainees, vascular, IR, fellows, residents, to thinking a little bit more about vein disease. Because I think, you know, you guys both have, you know, fellowships at your institutions. And Patrick, you're in charge of the fellowship. Yeah, I'm the program director. We the have program a... director. Ellen? I am the vascular surgery program director at my hospital. I'm not the overall program director, but I teach residents and fellows every right. day. So, I mean, I think we still find that arteries are king. It's hard to argue with acute bleeding. You know, that gets your attention and that demands your time. And I think that the only way to get a decent venous education is to have a dedicated venous rotation. You can't expect trainees to be managing a cath lab bleed and an elective thoracoabdominal and want to come to vein clinic. So you have to have a dedicated venous rotation. What do you think, Patrick? I think that's ideal. Although, you know, in our practice, there's four, soon to be five of us, and we all do both artery and vein. So it's kind of hard to have a separate rotation. I think it's an, an awesome idea because you're right. If if you have the opportunity to do a percutaneous EVAR, which will soon be going home the same day, and you're, you know, you walk out and you're with your gore rep and you guys chest bump because it was such an awesome yeah. case, it's definitely hard to compete with that and, and try and excite them in, in, in the venous world. However, I mean, I think with the future of thrombectomy devices, the stents that are coming for, for venous pathology, all the non-thermal, non-tumescent that, that we're now just getting into and, you know, Steve's pioneered, I think that those exciting technologies are going to naturally spawn, you know, kind of increase their interest. 
So first, but let's also say, so tell us where you are at, Patrick. Yeah, so I'm at Good Samaritan Hospital. I'm in my 16th year. I've been our program director for 12 years. And just like Ellen, day in and day out, I'm training. We have a zero and five residency. We also still have the traditional fellowship. And then we have general surgery as well. So we always have a general surgery resident uh, intern, first or second year on the service. And so I've been a good Sam for, like I said, 16 years now. Ellen. Yes. I know where you are. You have not been there for 16 years, but tell us where you are. I am at the Duke University Health System, and we also have the whole gamut of trainees. I work with general surgery residents every day. We have five, two fellows, and we have an integrated program. And so we've got trainees at a variety of levels with a variety of interests. I have had the privilege while training people at the University of Pittsburgh, which was where I was at before Duke, and then at Duke, I've had the privilege of being able to be what one trainee's husband named as a game changer. That this, yeah, that one of the women in the integrated program at Pittsburgh was a very smart, hardworking resident, but she just didn't quite mesh with our training program. You know, she was, she was good, but she wasn't great. And then she did her Venus rotation with me and it all just clicked for her. And she now does, she's the director of Venus specialties at the hospital where she is. She also does the full gamut of arterial work, but being able to train in veins and have that be a very vibrant part of her practice really anchored her. And, you know, she's the most dramatic example I've had of that, but I think that having venous surgery and that, I mean, we all know venous care is 180 degrees different than arterial care. And being able to teach our trainees that modality and give them the knowledge and opportunity to practice that way really opens up a lot of doors. But that's an unusual example. You know what I'm saying? When I mean, I like your idea about the separate rotation. I mean, we used to have a long time ago when things were a little more simpler, you know, when not when I was training as a fellow and then obviously the subsequent fellows, for instance, we had a separate vascular laboratory rotation. It wasn't like catch as catch can. It was, you know, that's what you were doing for the month, whatever, the, I think it was a month time period. And I like this if, do you think, well, let's say this, you guys do vein work. Do you think other fellowship directors would, what percentage of fellowship directors do you think would buy into, we're taking this fellow off of any arterial things, at least during the day, you know, they call and stuff, for two months or whatever the hell we, we think. How do you think that would fly? With the great majority of, of directors and all, we do, all these guys are going to be doing, they're going to do all the Venus work. I think it's absolutely mandatory. And I think that you can make it work and you need to make it work. They aren't going to get a venous education if there's arterial competition. And we all know that trainees come out and two, four, six weeks later, you don't get a call from them about how to do an EVAR. You get a call from them about how to do varicose veins or how to do access or something that they were too busy to do, but now is 80% of their clinic. And so I think we're doing our trainees a disservice if we don't offer that. Well, do you th so, okay, and that's what I'm saying. Can we get it into the uh, program directors, APDVS or whatever, 
get it. Hey guys, this is important. Don't you think it's important? And we should kind of mandate this in our training, so to speak, or what are the numbers? I don't, I'm no, don't follow up with the numbers, although we're, we're restarting the fellowship program actually next year at, at our hospital. What do they need to have vein wise? It's almost nothing, right? The APDVS, the requirements in the subcategories of venous interventions are exactly what you're alluding to. They are inadequate, to be honest with you. The arterial, the aneurysm, carotids, they're all super detailed, right? But the venous interventions, there's no doubt that they need to be updated, no doubt about it. So I think that any reasonable program director would would obviously support that, because I agree with Ellen, if you're not dedicating that one month or two months to, to Venus, yeah, you're always going to get sidetracked by a cold leg or, or a ruptured aneurysm. So I think I think it's a great idea, and I think that's something that we ought to consider taking to the APDVS. Yeah, I think that's where it's going to start, because to expect each individual program director to set aside time if they're not mandated, I mean, some might, but most would not. Probably call issues would probably be the biggest hindrance right. to that. But, I mean, they can still take call. Right. Yeah. There's, there's no Venus call. I mean, really. I mean, what is, you know, what is there a Venus call? My I mean, leg is swollen. I, yeah. I mean, I take Venus call every night. It's okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, you know, you understand my point. Yeah. Now, say say you, to get that buy-in, What I mean, I, I like it. What, what does it take? How, when do you... Any of you involved with the APDBS in terms of rep- being a representative? Right? No. I wonder what it takes when they update their required curriculums or whatever. Yeah. I don't know about that, but I think there are two aspects of venous care that really sell this aspect of the specialty. One is the research opportunities. You know, it's much easier to get your research published on venous disease than it is aortic disease. And it's also easier to do because you've got a ton more patients. And so residents that are interested in research, we should try to steer them toward venous disease. It's a wide open field. The other is the technology. I just spoke to a large technology company during this meeting about streamlining a list of, or not a list, a body of technology to deal with venous ulcers. They're looking at, you know, what are they going to sell physicians, but also how are they going to help physicians? What tools can they offer to make it a complete care package? And so being involved with industry and being involved with technology, again, is, I think, a lot easier in venous circles than than aortic or traditional arterial. And so if we can sell trainees and program directors on the fact that this is the land of opportunity... That might help us. Yeah. And do we have, I mean, both of you are on the AVF board, for instance, and I'm on the ACP board now, or we should say the AVLS board. Do you think, I'm not sure if societies would push to either program directors of interventional radiology or vascular surgery that, I'm talking out loud, ask you, do you think that that would have a big weight in terms of them changing their mind? That if uh, if AVS or AVF or, or AVLS or I guess SVS perhaps, that may push them to say we need to formally more incorporate venous training. I think that would have a big impact. What do you think, Patrick? Yeah, I think no doubt if you had a combined SVS, AVF kind of push to A, as we, as we talked about, 
elaborate and increase the, the Venus requirements or how they logged their cases. I think if we took that to the APDVS, that would be, uh, I think that would carry a lot of backing with the SVS. But you probably need to start with thinking it, thinking out loud, probably need to start with some resident survey, not only current resident, but recent graduates, because just like Ellen's alluding to, they don't call you about the ruptured AAA and and, and how they did it percutaneous, they're calling back wanting to know, when am I going to, you know, treat this perforator? Mm-hmm. Or, right. you know, what, what what about reflux, you know, that's in one zone uh, just below the knee in a, in a venous ulcer? What do you do there? So those are the, the, the everyday problems that you were alluding to earlier about the AVLS <laughs> right. yeah, meeting in everyday scenarios. So I think this is a, it's a wonderful topic. Yeah. And residents and fellows, they... There's some cases they're more excited about than others, but a lot of times they do things because they need it for their numbers. And if you make it that you need it for your numbers, then they're just going to do it. And they they may see the light and say, gee, this really is kind of exciting. I also like what you said, Patrick, and I agree. The entry into the deep space now, having huge options growth there, it's their fun procedures, their big vessels, their you know, it's, it's a little bit more than just take care of an incompetent great saphenous vein or, or removing some, some varicose veins. I think that may give people more interest in the vein space. And how about pelvic venous disease? Not the, not the acute, you know, clots, but the, the insufficiency, the ovarian and the, you know, iliac. congestion syndrome. And, you know, no, I think that, the, you know, the, in one of our sessions today, I gave a talk on one of the thrombectomy devices and then someone gave a talk after me, somebody from Miami Baptist. And apparently there's 26 thrombectomy devices out there right now, which I didn't... 26? 26 in the world, that is. Arterial and venous or just venous? Venous. 26? That's what he said. And I, I thought said, there were like three. No, he said there's 26 different uh, iterations out there. Wow. Yeah. And so think about it. All The, the, the point is, is that that's a whole a big area that needs research and needs to be flushed out. DVT therapy, who do you treat? If you treat, how are you going to treat? The uh, devices have changed so much. You know, minimizing lytics, pushing for clot extraction instead of clot dissolution. So I think that, that I think Ellen said it, she's right. The area for the opportunity for research in the venous world is incredible. And we all know, and at least in my office, I see way more venous patients than I do, obviously, AAA or, you know, chronic limb ischemia or even carotids. So the opportunities are endless. Right. And it's a, a space where you can make a real difference with relatively low risk, straightforward procedures. I mean, it's a great opportunity. And also too, you know, Steve, when you mentioned getting into the deep space and the whole interface between deep and superficial, you know, more than 50% of vascular trainees are women now. And many of them will want to have children and have families and have more flexible time for that. Venus work is a great way to build in some flexibility to your schedule. And men may want that too, but it's a very nice way to be a little more in control of your life as a vascular surgeon. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, a, that's an excellent point, whether male or female, but obviously, I mean, right, 50% of People going to medical school are women, if not a little bit more than that. And, and, but even for the younger generation, lifestyle, whether you're male or female, is much more important than, you know, 
years and years ago where you went into medicine, that, that was your lifestyle. So I think, you know, selling it and not selling it, but people understanding that's another positive aspect is a way of getting to the residents and, and fellows that, uh, you know, this, this is something you really should consider doing. And, and I do understand, I can't imagine someone, you know, going through their training and just getting out and you're doing all these life and death, like you said, Ellen, bleeding gets your attention. And, and believe me, every, you know, when you're a fellow, the, the first thing you want to hear is there's a ruptured aneurysm because it's so exciting. But then you come to the point, well, you come to the point of what I have called the mature vascular surgeon. My partner is maturing right now. So my partner, Matt, is he's four years behind me and he's maturing in, in front of my eyes more so than I, I guess I'm still immature, but he, he's absolutely blocking off time to spend more time at our vein center. And that's, yeah. that's what he said. He's like, listen, he's like, after a while, you, you, you've proven yourself. Exactly. You don't need to fix every aneurysm. You don't need to go in and, and, and help with all the iatrogenic injuries that can occur in a hospital and bleeding to death and whatnot. And he's focusing more time in the vein world. And it's definitely better for one's health because, as we know, it's not as stressful. Right. So um, well, it leads to longevity in your career. Yeah. And it can also contribute to the health of your group by having an elective cash practice, you may be able to support your group through the ups and downs of reimbursement. It's a very nice sort of diversity within the financial profile of your group to be able to have a cash business or a, you know, a nearly cash business and be able to count on that if the arterial reimbursements go down. Yep. So... You're not maturing, and you're uh, you're still. I'm still immature. Are, still, are you still a kid at heart, Patrick? <laughs> yes. I still enjoy those things, but well, then do it. I mean, yeah. no one's saying you shouldn't. See, we love when you when you do things like that because then Steve and I can just sit back and do some right. veins <laughs> and exactly. go home at four thirty. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Have a drink. Yeah, yeah. but you know, I, I want to go back to where we started with and thinking for our program. How should we maybe have a dedicated Venus rotation? Uh, I think that's a, a was a good beginning and something to. I think I'm going to take home to our program because that's what, again, going back to my partner, Matt, you know, we're a little bit behind you guys when it came to establishing a vein center, which, you know, we're just now working more and more in, but we've not exposed our trainees to that. And you're right. That, that's a, a good way to have a good, solid, well-rounded group. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also really beneficial for them to see how a vein center works. You know, the re who does the referrals and the authorizations and collects the cash and how do you post the prices and who talks to people about money? I mean, those things are not something that vascular surgery training programs prepare you for. No. And let's not forget about the patients. Not just, I'm not talking not just taking care of the patients. I'm talking about, it's a different type of patient. It's in general, I find them a lot of fun to take care of because these are, you know, in general, they're not the older, sicker person with whom they don't care what you say to them or do to them or, or tell you what you're going to do to them. If they have a black toe or something, they, you know, they're going to lose their leg. They don't care if you empathize as much as the person who's, you know, that 50 something year old person who's having trouble because they have, you know, it's affecting their job and they can't stand or something like that. And to me, I, Vein patients are healthy people who just have a problem that they want taken care of so they can get back to their life. And it's a lifestyle issue. And I think in general, residents and fellows probably don't spend enough time talking to patients 
to begin with. They're doing a lot of procedures, but they're not talking with them so much before and after. And once you get to talk to the patients, especially the vein patients, I think they would have fun talking to them because they're, they're just regular people, you know, who you can offer them almost anything we do nowadays in the vein world has a very high success rate in terms, if you do it for the right patient, in terms of quality of life, patients are happy, right? I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And I think that it really is a whole different skill set. And I think it's valuable for trainees to learn that, that, you know, in arterial surgery, you're telling the patient what they have to have. In venous surgery, you're offering the patient something they may want. And, you know, to develop that sort of conversation repertoire is valuable. And I agree. The pa- Honestly, I've made friends of patients just because they're interesting, yeah. you know, successful people. And you, the vein patients, you take them from good to great. The arterial patients, you try to keep them going from bad to worse. Right. Good. Very good. <laughs> that's that's one okay. for the ages right there. I like yeah, that Yeah, I think that's a quote that we're going to have to use in some other talks. Absolutely. <laughs> right, Patrick? Yeah. yeah. No, but I think also, you know, when you're in training, we're probably not doing as good a job as we can some days in teaching people. Because when I was coming out, I always thought patients were V-A-I-N. All they cared about was the cosmetic, <laughs> uh-huh. not V-E-I-N. And what you realize is, is if you do spend time in that outpatient setting and you see the patients, then you see them back, you see that you really are helping them. And venous hypertension definitely causes yeah. symptoms. It's not V-A-I-N. So so we have to, let's, let's wind up a little bit here. We always like to kind of summarize what have we, what have we learned lately? What have we learned today? So, I mean, to me, I think you guys came up with a very good Ellen. And then Patrick, you echoed setting aside, see if you can set aside time for our fellows for a particular, during the day at least, having a vein rotation, so to speak, and doing, taking care of the vein patients and coming through the office, as we said, or the clinic, as, as a lot of people call it. That's one thing. I think developing an influence with the APDVS would be really a, a positive thing. Because again, if, if things are mandated, fellows got to do it. And maybe more fellows will say, gee, this, this vein stuff is, is pretty interesting. And I don't know if they're going to listen to us, but say to them, well, when you get out in practice, you're going to give me a call about three days, three, mm-hmm. three months from now. And you're going to ask me something, not about like Ellen said, the EVAR, but about Patrick, you said about this perforator and stuff that I think is going to be way down the line. But I think these two other things, get some program directors to set aside time and get the whole APDVS to really kind of mandate it would be a good thing. I want to thank you guys for, uh, for everything. And um, we'll see everybody next time. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Steve. Steve, thanks, thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed this podcast discussing a really critical issue in the vein world. We need to be able to attract more people to train and also to take care of vein patients. I want to thank Ellen Dillavo and Patrick Muck, who clearly have a lot of experience in trainees and also have thought quite a bit about this problem and how to incorporate vein training into a general vascular fellowship. We also want to thank Clear Sky Local for being the sponsor of this podcast. I want to be honest with our listeners. I haven't tried Clear Sky Local yet, but I'm going to be between now and the next podcast. And I will let you know how my Clear Sky Local program worked out for me. But for you all to learn more about the Vein Clinic Accelerator and how it can work for you, go to newveinpatients.com. And as a matter of fact, there's an exclusive offer for listeners of this Vein Magazine podcast. 
Clear Sky Local will actually guarantee results on your campaign when you get involved with them. Once again, to get more information on the Vein Clinic Accelerator, whether you're new to the field or whether you already have a ongoing practice, go to newveinpatients.com. I'll let you know how it worked out for me and see you on the next podcast.